Welcome to Mormon Happy Hour. My name is Colleen Dietz. Join me and my guests each week for an entertaining recap of the hottest topics in Mormonism. We keep tabs on social media and headline news so you don't have to. Don't miss our live pro tips as you adjust to your new and exciting post-Mormon life. Mormon Happy Hour is here to bring you the irreverent side of Mormonism, wherever you may be. Welcome to episode 42. Mormon Happy Hour has voicemail, and that phone number is 435-494-1427, or email at mormonhappyhour at gmail.com. And the reason I'm telling you is because you will need it for two reasons this week. One, I got some interesting feedback from the ex-Mormon community regarding my last bonus episode where I interviewed Karen Peter, the quorum president in the community of Christ. If you listened, what did you think? And if you didn't, was my description offensive? I am actually really anxious to hear your feedback on maybe where I was insensitive or it just wasn't something that was received well by everyone. So I don't know. Let me know what you thought. And the second reason why you'll need either the voicemail number or the email address is because Camille and I actually are issuing a hashtag earthquake challenge to everyone. And that means you too in our Mormon sex myth segment. So please check the show notes for the episode where I explain what that fun multi-party participation sex move is that came to us from the resourceful sex repressed depths of Brigham Young University. Another bonus episode this week. Do you remember the bourbon barrel aged coffee that I tasted and reviewed for you? Jarman's Craft Coffee has just dropped their second limited release. This one is a single origin box set from Eucro Ethiopian coffee beans, both natural roasted and also aged in a classic non-smoked single malt whiskey barrel from Hamilton Distillers. I'm telling you guys, if you haven't checked out bourbon barrel aged coffee. It's fantastic. It is an entirely new experience. So to celebrate their second release, I am sharing my interview with Jamie Jarman, who is the roaster, where he shares the process and how coffee became his passion. So watch for that later this week. For today, first on Mormon Sexsmiths, Camille and I rage about the LDS First Presidency ban on oral sex that was issued in 1982. And this segment needs an explicit sex talk warning. So just be aware of that. If you don't want to be explaining words like, this is where I pause and give you a second to hit pause, <clears throat> blowjobs, orgasms, or clitoral stimulation to anyone else who may overhear this episode. That's your disclaimer. And next, for our second feminist Mormon reading roast, Marie and I tackle part two of John and Mary, a lecture found in Spencer W. Kimball's book, Faith Precedes the Miracle. As always, both these segments can be found in full video form on the Mormon Happy Hour Patreon page. Please don't be missing out. Welcome back to Mormon Happy Hour. I have Camille back for another segment of Mormon Sex Myths. Hi, Camille. Hello. I'm 
so glad to be back finally. It's been so busy this summer with all your gallivanting around. <laughs> you know, Sunstone and whatnot. All of the Sam Young business. That's a lot. Yep. Yeah. Keeping it real here. Keeping it real. <laughs> I know. But I'm glad to be back. I brought you back for a segment of Mormon Sex Myths that you and I have been meaning to do for quite some time. And it's not really as hysterically funny as our past segments have been, but I do think it's important because it really hits at a lot of the root causes for a lot of Mormon sex myths and Mormon sex dysfunction. So that's mm -hmm. why we are here today to kind of talk about, well, I'll just spit it out and then we'll do some, some history. So we're here to talk about the letter from the first presidency of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, or whatever the hell they're calling themselves this week. I can never keep track. But um, anyway. <laughs> mm -hmm. Nobody cares either, by the way. Mm -mm. No. Okay. Uh, the first presidency issued, which is the, it consists of the prophet of the church, so this is the representative of God on the earth. The first presidency issued a statement in January of 1982 that uh, described, uh, amongst other things, but says specifically oral sex, at, even for married couples, as unholy, uh, unnatural, and impure, an impure practice. And so that's what we're here kind of to talk about is Number one, the statement that they issued, and then kind of the controversy that followed up after the fact, and how it has endured even as of, of today. And, and I have quotes to show that even, even as of 2003, it's still hanging on as a policy. So, Camille, are you ready? I'm so ready for this. <laughs> <laughs> and for those yeah, of you listening who are not watching the video, I'm going to uh, use air quotes for a lot of things <laughs> I'm saying. So I'll try and remember to be like, to say air quotes, blah, blah, blah. It was issued in a January 5th, 1982 first presidency letter to bishops and other local leaders. It was explicitly stated that members who participated in any oral sex were barred from the temple unless they repented and discontinued this practice. So I'm going to be posting the actual document so everyone can refer to it. And let me take a look at it. Married persons should understand that if in their marital relations, they are guilty of unnatural, impure, or unholy practices, they should not enter the temple unless and until they repent and discontinue any such practices. Husbands and wives who are aware of this requirement can determine themselves their standing before the Lord. But then it goes on to say, the first presidency has interpreted oral sex as constituting an unnatural, impure, or unholy practice. If a person engaged in practice which troubles him enough to ask about it, he should discontinue it. And so what I find upsetting about that is that oral sex is the only sex act that is explicitly mentioned in this entire document. And, and that, that line about if a person is engaged in a practice which troubles him enough to ask about it, it should be discontinued. So, Camille, what are your feels initially, right off the bat? <laughs> well, <clears throat> I think two things. One is, why are they always so concerned what 
husbands and wives are doing in their bedrooms or anyone doing in their bedrooms, really. Mm -hmm. Why, how does this have any, any pertinence to anybody or anything? I don't understand that. Um, so that bothers me because it, it comes down to just more like control. It's, it's so culty, <laughs> if you will. But then the other thing that bothers me about it too is it kind of reinforces in my mind the idea that sex is only for procreation, not for pleasure, because mm. or oral sex obviously is just for pleasure, just like other, you know, sex act air quotes. <laughs> but you know, I feel I remember when I was engaged, like reading talks and stuff about sex and they were always so like vague like that like impure sex practices and blah 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 and I was just like what the hell is that I don't I don't understand what any of that means so anyways but, but those are my initial reactions it's just why do they feel it's their business to the point where they have to send out this letter mm -hmm. and just it's just so controlling but then also just that that reinforcement of unhealthy ideas about sex and how it shouldn't be for pleasure and you know uh, just created a lot of really <laughs> sexually messed up people yeah yeah <laughs> yeah totally agree that I had the same thoughts about the cultiness of it because if you if you look into like the bite model which kind of evaluates what what constitutes and, and defines a cult one of the things that it talks about is does it control the sex of its members and that's what this is doing like this is a church putting its nose in married couples consensual relationships and i think that's wildly inappropriate to agreed to, to saddle married couples with this guilt and and that's where that's where i get a real have a real problem with this last line of if a person is engaged in a practice which troubles them enough to ask, he should discontinue it. Well, when you have taught uh, this this dogmatic doctrine of sex shaming from the beginning of time, then of course, of course, these members are going to feel guilt about any amount of sex whatsoever. And the damage that that does to consensual relationships is horrid. It's it's just people don't yeah. heal from that. One of the things that bothers me too is how when these things when these things are said or written and they come out, they are generally quite vague. And so you know, LDS members are so brought up to like um live the letter of the law so much. So when you're when you're saying these things but then you're not spelling it out, everything is gonna be questionable. You know, so so for them to say that, if if you're if you have to ask the question and discontinue it, well, that would be like everything. I feel like, you know, so that that bothers me also. Not that I think they should be explicit because they shouldn't be bringing it up at all. But but it's so dumb. I feel like to be like, oh, you can do you you shouldn't do these impure practices, but then not say what they are, except for oral sex. Mm -hmm. There was some outcry back in 1982 when this initially came out, rightly so. And I'm really glad that a few members felt, you know, empowered enough to speak up and say, yeah, no, this feels wrong and I don't like this. And, and, and I'm, I'm glad that that happened. But because that happened, the, the First Presidency decided to 
rescind the letter. I'm using air quotes again for my listeners. Let me go ahead and, and read that one. And it is much, much shorter. Under the date of January 5th, 1982, we addressed a letter to you which outlined procedures to be followed in conducting worthiness interviews. Since then, we have received a number of letters from members of the church which indicate clearly that some local leaders have been delving into private, sensitive matters beyond the scope of what is appropriate. Ooh, does that not sound like worthiness interviews today? <laughs> wow. Yes. And so then the council, in conducting worthiness interviews, you should follow carefully the instructions contained in our letter. You should never inquire to the personal intimate matters involving marital relations between man and his wife. That's great. Should never delve from or go beyond the specific questions. That's great. If in the course of such interviews, a member asks questions about the propriety of specific conduct, you should not pursue the matter, but should merely suggest that if a member has enough anxiety about the propriety of the conduct to ask about it, the best course would be to discontinue it. Again, with the vagueness and the, we're not gonna talk about it, but if you're gonna ask me about it, you shouldn't do it. It kind of goes back to what I was alluding to before. I remember being a 20 year old engaged young lady having no sexual experience at all and I remember I was taking like the marriage class at institute and stuff and we used to read a lot of like talks from the brethren <laughs> and other air quotes by the way <laughs> um about marriage and relationships and and sex and and a lot of the talks about sex were like that just super vague and like talking about in unholy and impure practices and how those should be avoided and things like that. And I never understood what any of that meant. And it's just to put all these questions into the minds of people who have already been sexually repressed and taught that sex is bad. And then you're supposed to get married and have sex, even though you thought it was bad all along. And now there's all this other anxiety built in because I, for myself, I was like so afraid. Well, so what am I allowed to do? What am I allowed to, not allowed to do? What, you know, it was, and I should have just been enjoying it, but I was so concerned about doing the right thing or whatever. It's, it's just this, it feeds this anxiety and this um, shaming culture, like you said, where it doesn't matter what you're doing in the bedroom, you're going to question it and you're going to think that you're doing something wrong. Even if it's just, regular old intercourse. I mean, how many, how many people have you talked to that they're on their wedding night, they felt shame and guilt, even though they were just having intercourse as married people, you know, right. It's the same thing. It's the same thing. All this vague talk. Of, yeah. It's not, it's not helpful. My feelings about this, this rescinded letter, which I think it's bullshit to even say that they rescinded it. Basically the message that I get or the, the response I have is that don't ask, don't tell is a very different message than we were wrong. It's okay. It, it, it still, you know, screwed people up mentally for generations and it still does today. And so here's my translation on the recension. Since we already told you oral sex is unnatural, impure, and unholy, 
so that you don't know exactly where God stands on the issue, we expect you to remember that and continue to feel guilty for the ways in which you express your love and intimacy in consenting relations with your spouse. So we expect that you will still confess the guilt to your bishop. Never engage in such disgusting forms of intimacy. You will not be eligible for heaven if you do. Please remember that even if we don't explicitly describe it again. That's, that's my interpretation. Uh, translation. Mm -hmm. <laughs> you, you articulated that so much better than what I was trying to do. <laughs> exactly. Oh my gosh. Yes. Isn't that typical also? That's how they work. That, yeah, we don't need to apologize. The members are always the ones at fault. Always. Always, always, always. Uh-huh. <laughs> yeah. We've got a lot of anxiety-ridden Mormons running around. Yeah. <laughs> Self-loathing anxiety-ridden Mormons, might I add. Yeah. And the, so it was also explicitly, the oral sex question was also explicitly added to the Temple Recommend questions after the 1982 statement and then was removed later. So it was in there and they were asking it. And of course, that's what the, the, res, the recension, air quotes, is responding to. So even though they took it out, like I talked about, and they're still gonna, they're still gonna enforce it, you know, it's the unwritten, unspoken higher law that oral sex is no good. So it continues. So I collected a couple of different quotes that all kind of refer to unnatural or impure or unholy practices that I wanted to kind of read through. So let's see if I can, I can catch some of the earlier ones and we can kind of move through history. So this is when Prophet Harold B. Lee was prophet. And I wish I had a, a year on that, but I don't. But he is one of the earlier prophets. In a letter responding to an inquiry from a married couple asking if oral sex was permitted, the church president and prophet Harold B. Lee stated, I was shocked to have you raise the question about oral lovemaking in the genital area among couples. That was a quote, the oral lovemaking. <laughs> oral lovemaking. <laughs> Heaven forbid any such degrading activities would be abhorrent, which would be abhorrent in the sight of the Lord. For any Latter-day Saint to engage in any kind of perversions in this sacred God-given gift of procreation would be sure to bring down the condemnation of the Lord, whom we would offend were we to engage in any such practice. Like, I don't even understand the logic in that comment. Like, like is sex okay or is sex not okay? Like, it's just like, it, yeah. it, it, does it have to be the missionary position, super boring, bland? <laughs> like procreative only get it get in and get her done and then and if you enjoy it at all like you're offending god mm -hmm. that's the message i hear <sighs> and yeah i i don't understand i and i never really did to be honest um how like what is the the argument what is their reasoning to to explain why does God care? Why does he care? How does it impact anyone or anything? I don't understand. I, I And so why do they care? Why do they care so much? Just leave it alone. Leave us alone and let us have sex in peace. That's all I say. Okay. The church has also condemned unnatural sex acts in marriage. Quote, 
Sexual relations in marriage are not unrestrained. Even though sex can be an important and satisfactory part of married life, we must remember that life is not designed just for sex. <clears throat> Even marriage does not make proper certain extremes in sexual indulgence. I think it does. To the Ephesians saints, Paul begged for propriety in marriage. So ought men to love their wives as their own bodies. He that loveth his wife loveth himself. Ephesians 5.28. And the Lord's condemnation included secret sexual sins in marriage. What? When he said, and those who are not pure and have said they were pure shall be destroyed, saith the Lord. So like, oh my God, like, this is like, if you go into the bishop's interview and you say you're pure, but you didn't know that something you were doing is technically impure, then the Lord will destroy you. Like, how about for fear mongering? Right. And I just feel like, like that first sentence, even though sex can be a, an important and satisfactory part of married life. What does that even mean? Like, we must remember that life is not designed just for sex. What? I don't even know what that means. What are they trying to say? I don't know, but I'm going um, to, I'm going to call bullshit on that because if we didn't in, if sex weren't a major, major part of life, then humankind would cease to exist. I'm sorry, but that's a biological fact. This is so directly linked to the, the issues we have with shame. And I'm not just talking sexual shame, but in the church. People feel shamed for everything that is, for things that are biological and natural and healthy and normal. And then we're told, no, you should feel bad about that and you shouldn't do that. And I, I just, I can't, I can't tell you enough. Like, like I already said, just the amount of anxiety I had as a newlywed over stressing about what type of sex I could have and what I was allowed to do but no one would actually tell me what I was allowed to do I just had to guess and everything seemed like it was probably wrong mm -hmm. it just messed it up so bad for me and messed it up real bad for a long time yeah well you're not alone you're not alone so let's know. see in 1986, this is Elder Spencer J. Condy, uh, and this was in the Enzyme, Finding Marital Unity Through the Scriptures. Unfortunately, some married couples failed to realize that sexual experiences were never intended by the Lord to be a mere plaything or merely to satisfy passions and lusts. When couples engage in physical intimacy devoid of emotional and spiritual intimacy, or when they participate in unholy practices, what should be a spiritually bonding element in their marriage may actually become a disruptive force. Going to the scriptures and to the words of modern prophets for inspired counsel is one of the best ways husbands and wives can improve their communication and strengthen their marriage. This was in 1986. Like, technically, that's only four years after the oral sex ban, so I don't know why I'm surprised. But in 86, here, you, it's, it's condemned that you, like, hey, is your husband ever, like, really in the mood? Or you're really, really in the mood? And you're like, hey, honey, like, I know we have 500 kids out in the other room, but I really just, I got it. I just, you know, I can't keep my eyes off you, and I really just need it. Bang one out. Oh, no, that's lustful. If that happened, 
consensually in a married relationship, the Lord condemns it? Like, come on! Well, I feel so bad because <laughs> uh, everyone, you know, grows up so, um, you know, what's the word? So hard up. <laughs> so sexually deprived. And then we get married thinking, oh, finally we can have sex. And they're like, well, actually, I mean, you can have sex, but only under these circumstances and only this type. And it's just more, more control. And yeah. Yeah. It's sad. It's really sad is what it is. And I feel like what this does is this, this, it, it's the same old repress your feelings, repress your biological urges, repress the natural man, like don't masturbate, don't touch yourself. If you start feeling urges, then you need to like sing a hymn. And it, it's like they're telling you that this, this goes on even after you're married. You can't have sexual urges even after you're married. Like, so it's just yeah. always wrong. It's always wrong to have, to be a sexual being at all. At all, mm -hmm. which is part of the, the fact, right? Like I was just gonna say, the fact of the matter is, we are human and we are sexual. That's part of being human. Yeah. So much you probably tell them. Do you think? <laughs> is that possible? You first. <laughs> they need to like go take human sexuality at any college in any place. You know, a lot of times, and not just with this issue, but a lot of issues that the church will come rescind, you know, they'll change their policies about or whatever, or the verbiage. But the fact is that because it was ever there in the first place, the damage is done and that gets passed down from generation to generation. So even though this doesn't come up in the temple interviews anymore or whatever, it's still a part of the cultural belief system you know? And so I remember as a kid, <laughs> I, uh, my parents would talk to me, like I found this book once when I was like a teenager. I found a book and it was talking about uh, oral sex. And I was just like curious about it. And my dad was like, that is wrong. And we do not do that. And I was just like, oh, okay. I didn't even know what it was. And, and then, so again, like that was always just something that I knew, okay, well, we don't do that. That's wrong. It's disgusting. It's gross. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Then I come to find out it's not disgusting or gross. It's amazing. <laughs> you know, guys really like oral sex. What guy doesn't like a blowjob? I've never met one in my entire okay. life who doesn't love blowjobs. Mm -hmm. Right. But, but when it comes to biological human sex, men mm -hmm. are often, it, it's not a problem for a man to, to climax, to, you know, to be fulfilled in any way he's having sex, oral sex, in, you know, regular missionary position, whatever. It's fine. Women, on the okay. other hand, biologically is a lot more difficult for us or I'm not, not even like difficult. It's just different. It is a different experience for a woman to receive the same amount of enjoyment and fulfillment when it comes to any, any sex act. So one of the more effective ways for a woman to achieve such uh, excitement, if you will, orgasm, climax, whatever, 
let's be explicit, is through oral sex. And so the other like yeah. unspoken baggage that I feel like this entire ban comes with is that it's saying, hey man, you have a, a, a multitude of ways that you can reach climax. But women, oh, one of the primary ways that women receive climax is through clitoral stimulation, like oral sex. And so I feel like mm -hmm. one of the unspoken uh, uh, or collateral damages that this type of a ban has is that it, it takes away women's satisfaction in sex. It, and, and me, that's exactly. me, the, the, my internal raging feminist is like, oh, hell no. They're mandating that only boring missionary position sex is the only way that you can have sex. And if, if you take the percentage of women that can orgasm through that type of a sex, like, I mean, they don't care. Um, Maybe they don't even know. But, but it really sucks to be a woman in, in this type of a culture. Exactly. Like, I, I remember, I wonder how many women, <laughs> there's probably so many women in the church who have never even orgasmed don't even know how you know because if they can't do oral sex they can't masturbate so they can't use a vibrator it's like what else is there you know like intercourse is not going to get off very many women like that's a very small number of women who can get off that way you know and you said you said difficult and then you and then you corrected yourself to different i would say for the majority of women i think reaching climax is very difficult yeah. I think there's there's like this lucky small percentage that just it's easier for them. But I didn't want to make it disparaging or seem like I mean it is. Yeah. It, it's not like women are harder or harder to get off. Like I wanted to be like no, women are different when it comes to how yeah. we can re re receive, you know, like and if you're not willing to do the different thing uh -huh. Then you That's should be right. in it in the first place. It's not that it's not that women are difficult. Women are different than men when it comes to achieving climax, right? Okay. Okay. And it just requires a little bit more um, you know, what's the word? Explorative nature. I don't know, is that even a word? But you have to you have to be willing to like try some things and be adventurous. But it, with a man, it's just, you know, intercourse done, does the job just fine. And you, it's, you don't have to think too hard about it. Yeah. You're right. So I guess, but I see what you're saying. Like that's <laughs> a better choice of words. <laughs> um, it, it can be difficult though, if you're not, if you're not willing to do those other things. Right. Mm -hmm. So that's what you're saying. Absolutely. Anyways. Yeah. I do think there is a misogynistic piece to this as well. Absolutely. For sure. Whew. So, uh, I think, I, I guess we've, we've covered everything. I have more quotes, but let's just, let's, let's just put it to bed by saying that it's misogynistic. It's terribly uh, oppressive. It, this, this 1982 ban was a symptom of something going on that still continues today that so many prophets of the church have been guilty of of propagating and 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 enforcing with an iron fist and it's just so so upsetting and if you ever i've i've dived into a few faithful active mormon sex facebook groups that are like women only and 
these type of issues run rampant in those groups. Like you were saying, I wonder how many women have never experienced orgasm. Oh, so many. And they don't even know. Like, they, there's so much like, well, like dysfunction. Because when a woman's not enjoying sex, then maybe she's not thinking about it as much because it's not something that she looks forward to. And that causes dysfunction in a relationship and, and they don't know how to fix it because she doesn't know what it could be because she's never explored her own body. Like there's just so many problems that this type mm-hmm. of an attitude perpetuates. Right. It's not, it's really not just about oral sex. No. It's just about this, this mindset that is creating an environment where people are not um, not able to to be whole people mm-hmm. whole you know what I mean so they, there's a void and I think it leads to a lot of other issues um, but not the least of which are you know just self-shaming and sexual shaming and it just creates so many more problems it's not just about oral sex yeah bigger than that. Well, thanks for coming on and tackling this with me, Camille. I really appreciate it. I know. (laughs) You're right. It's really not that fun or funny, but it's one of those things that just kind of infuriates me and makes me angry. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. It's it's one of those moments where I'm just so glad to be out. So to end on a more positive note, we, the last time we spoke, one of the last times you said that you would do a little bit of homework for me and you would see if earthquaking is really worth <laughs> doing. Have you, have you followed through yet, Camille? I'm returning. I have, to say, I have not followed through on that because I have not uh, secured the right equipment. <laughs> <laughs> Meaning bunk beds. Yeah. It hasn't worked out for me that way. So it's still, it's still TBD. Okay. Well, you determine. I will check back. I'll, I'll keep, I'll I feel keep. like you should, I feel like you should ask your listeners though. Like anyone out there, like, uh, had some experience? Let's open it up to the listeners, Camille. Should we do that? Should we assign it as homework for all of the Mormon Happy Hour listeners? Yes. And I I mean, I'll take the challenge too. I just, I failed. Oh my God. Should we issue an earthquaking challenge? Hashtag earthquake challenge? Oh my gosh. This is perfect. Yes. Do it. Should we? Done. Okay. The, The challenge, I feel like it's been issued at this point. Yeah. So make it official. Okay, hashtag earthquake challenge. Return and report, listeners. It's done. It's out there. Pull it back now. I love it. <laughs> yeah, send send Colleen your Facebook messages. <laughs> no videos, please. Just just the the just the confessional. No videos. <laughs> return return and report, please. Uh, please and thank you. A Mormon happy hour. As a reminder, has has a voicemail. So if you uh, haven't written down the phone number, it's going to be at the beginning of the episode, which is also going to have to come with some explicit warnings for this segment. And, um, and I will put in the show notes the episode where we describe earthquaking for all of our listeners that are having a like, what the fuck moment right now? 
That was a fun episode. I don't remember that one. Uh-huh. All right. Yeah. So thanks for that reminder. I've been a little distracted lately. So you gotta get back on that. Yeah. You gotta focus on the most important things. <laughs> Lust. <laughs> I love it. Perfect. <laughs> thanks, Camille. Thank you, Colleen. You're wonderful. Sorry. Bye. Bye. Welcome back to Mormon Happy Hour, Marie Kent. Hi, everyone. It's Marie Kent from My Book of Mormon podcast. Here's the deal. We are continuing to read Faith Precedes the Miracle, and I just read the first sentence of what we're going to read, and I'm just like, ah, I'm here for this, everybody. We are reading this so that you don't have to. I, oh, God. So, everybody, brace yourselves. As a brief recap, we are reading the book, Faith Precedes the Miracle, by the, um, what did we decide he was? The 12th president? Yeah, 12th president of the church. That's right. And he was president in the 70s and 80s. And he wrote this marvelous book that we are uh, feminists burning to the ground. And we are ha- <laughs> we are partway through a, a lecture that he gave to dear John and Mary the, the day before he was to seal them in the temple. And so he's giving them a lecture and telling them how to find happiness in their life. So if you missed part one, you need to go back. Hit pause. Seriously, yeah. you're gonna miss some golden stuff, and you you need to know where we are right now. So go back, listen to part one of John and Mary, and then come back, and we'll catch up to part two. Are you ready? I am so ready. Okay. Yeah, you know, Colleen, because I because I kind of finished this up last time. I think that you need to start this time because I can't even with this paragraph, and I want to hear you read this. Ah! That's what I want. Okay, you're good. I mean, I know, I know I'm, I'm a woman, and so what I want doesn't really matter, but you're a woman too, so go for it. <laughs> and for you listeners, be sure and grab something that you can rage smash. Just grab it now. I'm just warning you. Okay. <laughs> Perhaps you, like most of the other young women of the nation, have prepared yourself for a career that you will not follow. One oh, my God. Oh, my God. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Keep going. Then we'll come back and talk about that. One college president said about 92% of all the girls in his college studied languages and mathematics and business. And then when they were married, found they not only had limited use for their specialized training, but they had also failed to train for the great career to which they were now to dedicate their lives Mary, you are to become a career woman in the greatest career on earth, that of homemaker, wife, and mother. And so if you fail to prepare for motherhood and homemaking when you could, you may make up somewhat devoting yourself to these subjects now. In your spare time, you could now study child psychology and child discipline, the fundamentals of nursing, the art of teaching, particularly how to tell stories and teach children, and you will want to get all the theory as well as the practice now in cooking, sewing, budgeting, and buying. Rage smash! Ah, ah. Okay, first of all, Spencer W. Kimball, cite your fucking sources. Okay, you don't get to say one college president said about 92%. Really? What college? 
what's that study? Really, was it an academic, like double blind study? Like, what were your survey methods? Did you have, do you have sample biases? Like, okay, I work in math and I use that specialized training every fucking day in my career as the breadwinner for my family. So <gasps> clearly, Spencer W. Kimball, rage, so much rage. Like, really, really, oh, really. Oh, deep breath. Where's your beer? Like the, the thing that is, oh man, where is my beer? I don't even, I, don't, I may have to get a beer before we're done here. I'm not even certain. But how, why, like, how come only the women need to know child psychology and child discipline? Are men just completely absent from this situation entirely? Yes, they like, are, do men even at work? Oh yeah, and so when they come home, is the man not going to be in charge when they're at home then? Since the woman knows literally everything about the children and all the budgeting and all the buying and all everything, so really a man is—we don't actually need men. Oh, okay, this is actually saying we don't need men. Thumbs up. I'm in. I don't think he thought that through. I think that's an oops. Oh. <laughs> are you saying that the president of the church made a mistake? Oh, in underestimating women? Fuck yes, I am saying that. <laughs> Underestimate women and women. Yeah, we're just gonna keep on going over your estimations because that's just what we do. Because <laughs> women are powerful, and really, you know, they're just ninety-two percent of all girls in his college. What college are you at? Your college sucks. BYU, probably BYU. <laughs> probably. <laughs> oh. God. Can we talk about John for a bit? Cause, yeah, let's talk about okay. John. He doesn't get much airtime in this entire lecture. So let's talk about John. Okay. So everybody go over to page 129. We're going to start at the top. And his small income can go far if you learn to... Oh, this isn't about John at all. This is all about talking to Mary. Sorry, my bad. It just and his small it. income. So John has a small income. Um, it can go far if you learn to make some of your own clothes and those of the children and utilize scraps and pick up bargains. Um, so for the record, she's making, she's making, uh, your own clothes and those of your children. But what does John get to wear? Does, is she making John's clothes? Oh no, no, no. John needs to buy nicely tailored clothes to wear to his, his nice business job where he's making all the money. Uh, so he can have all the nice things while his wife and his kids go without. Excellent. Well, wow. Wow. can pick up bargains to, to dress their bodies. <laughs> this is such a sign of the times that back then making your own clothes was the economical option. But yeah, like has anybody heard of the term fast fashion? Like clothes are so cheap these days. That, that fast fashion is like, you're des they're designed that they wear out after like two or three wearings, but they're so cheap. Like, oh, I spent $2 on this shirt and it disintegrates on the wash, but I, it was only $2 and I wore it four times and then I was just done. Like, it, it is more expensive to make your own clothes now. Oh, yeah. Well, wow. then you're not doing it economically like, like Spencer W. Kimball told Mary to do by using scraps and bargains. Marie, you did it wrong. <laughs> <laughs> don't worry we're always doing it wrong Colleen we're women we're we're wrong we're just all the wrong yeah you read the next wrong thing Mine's all right <clears throat> uh middle of the page on 129 
You wouldn't want to work outside the home anyway, Mary, for women are expected to earn the living only in emergencies. And you must know that many are the broken homes resulting when women leave their posts at home. <laughs> it's so laughably bad. <laughs> Yeah, because I like that the definition of a broken home doesn't include the absentee father who gets all the good things while their wife and the children are having scraps and looking for bargains. That doesn't count as a broken home. No, that is a perfectly functional, everything is great home. Mm -hmm. Or I posit, what if someone is in a marriage where both partners work and because they both work, they can earn enough money for after school care for the kids. You know, it's totally cool to have one partner stay home when you have an infant in the house. A lot of people do it because infant care is really freaking expensive, but you know, then you re-enter the workforce and because you have two incomes, then, you know, maybe you don't have to use this terrible copy of faith proceeds the miracle to prop up your couch. And then therefore have a really bent copy of it that somehow works its way into Colleen's hands. I'm just positing this as an option of a functional household. I think that was a callback to part one, right? You'll have to go back. Oh, it super was. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. Because if you haven't listened to part one, everybody, what's wrong with you? Listen to part one. We're really amusing. Oh God. So let me finish that paragraph. Yes. And so Mary... You will remain at home, making it attractive and heavenly. And when John comes home tired, you will be fresh and pleasant. The house will be orderly. The dinner will be tempting. And life will have real meaning. (laughs) Let me tell you what happens at my house. If by by hell or hell, I don't know. if, If I cleaned the house, made a tempting dinner, and um and i'm fresh if i took a fucking shower you know what i'm not gonna be after all three of those things i'm not gonna be fucking pleasant that's what i'm not gonna be (laughs) yeah yeah (laughs) you know sometimes i wish that i had another adult in my house because it's just me and my two kids and i think it would be great if somebody else made a dinner for me Mm. but i mean that's just because I'm so tired of cooking. But if I was cooking dinner every night for somebody who never made the, the meal, the resentment that would build. <laughs> when I talk about a broken home, let's talk about me having to cook every day. Like, uh-uh. nope, 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 nope. You mean you wouldn't be pleasant, Marie? You wouldn't find true happiness in that? I would use my independent income to order in takeout every night. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Oh man, Uber Eats exists for a reason. That's all I'm saying. <sighs> oh, That's the real meaning of life. <laughs> to order and bite squad. Oh man. So on page 131, another reminder of how to find happiness in a marriage. Marie, would you like to read the There Must Be? No, but I'm going to do it anyway. <laughs> there must be a forgetting of self and a constant concern for the other. There must be a focusing of interests and hopes and objectives into a single channel. You get to take this one. If you missed part one, this harkens back to the whole submit yourself and put your, your, put your spouse or your other before you at all costs. Like just forget yourself, Mm -hmm. 
love love your spouse more than yourself um always be the servant always be subservient never think of yourself um hold up when was the last time you were in an airplane at uh, me mm-hmm. oh gosh i think it was in august yeah i, I the kids and i flew to uh, visit my sister and back and so mm-hmm. if in in a terrible event that 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 plane happened to lose pressure and those little yellow mm-hmm. gas masks fell down are are you going to put it on yourself first? I mean, are you going to be selfless and think of your children first? No, because I watched a little instructional video that oh. told me to put on your own life mask before assisting others. Because if your kids can't take care of themselves in a situation like that, because when you are incapacitated because you're ignoring your own needs, everybody fails. Right. Uh, if the airline industry can figure that out, so can the Mormon church. Oh, honey. Mm-hmm. Have you met the Mormon church? Oh, honey. <laughs> I have met a lot of ex-members of the Mormon church. Um, <laughs> they already put their and, gas mask on first. Yeah. Yeah, they did. And they're doing a lot better than before. Like pretty much uniformly across the whole ex-Mormon community, when I, I meet someone and they tell me the story of when I left Mormonism, it always ends with, it was really hard, but I feel so much better now. I'm like, yeah. Yeah, because you're getting your needs met and that's all I want for you, honey. I just want you to be happy. And taking care of your own needs is a great way for you to be happy. And yeah, you can totally do that with a partner and be very successful with that mm-hmm. because happy relationships exist and we should all aspire for all of our relationships to be happy and fulfilling. And in my personal opinion, and I'm going to take a wild guess, Colleen's opinion too, you don't achieve that by just only liking what that other person likes so that other person can just like everything they like to make their jobs better and their homes better at, to the neglect of your own, because then you are not putting on your life mask, everybody. Nope. And, and even when it comes to to parenting and being a, a, a positive mother and role model and mm-hmm. just being a positive influence on their lives. I mean, I'm a mom. I've got a, yeah, me too. I've got a, a slew of kids and <laughs> when, when mommy ain't happy, ain't nobody happy. I'm ain't sure you've happy. heard that. It's, it's so yeah, true. Uh, yeah. And, and when I'm running ragged and not taking care of myself and not taking a time to take a break and, and recharge and just make sure that my nutrition is up, my, my water mm-hmm. intake is up, I'm getting enough sleep, and that I'm finding fulfilling activities to occupy my passions and pursue those things. If I'm not doing those things and putting my gas mask on first, honey, ain't no one happy. My kids are miserable because they're not getting the attention and the positive regard they need from me because I am, I can't get out of myself because my own needs aren't being met. Mm-hmm. Like that, that's some mental health self-care right there. And, and that is yeah. exactly the opposite of what douchebag Spencer W. Kimball just doesn't understand about the way life works. No. Well, cause again, uh, this works for him because he's the one that benefits. Mm-hmm. And why would you need empathy if the whole point is that you're the one that gets into heaven and you're the one who gets to decide if your wife is good enough to come into heaven? You have all the power, so what does it matter? Because you're happy and it literally doesn't matter how your wife is. Your wife is uh, a Yeah. <laughs> 
<laughs> I'm having some dry heaves over here, everybody. <laughs> uh, should we read one more? Yes. Okay. So, the, and then the, the very next, the very, very next paragraph. And this one actually hit me pretty hard because I'm going to preface this by saying in my previous marriage, when I was an active Mormon and I was raised mm -hmm. to fully believe and internalize my, my own air quotes dream of having 12 children and being the homemaker, I struggled with infertility. And that was the most devastating thing to endure as a Mormon when my entire life purpose was to have those 12 children and care for them in my home. So having that 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 dream unfulfilled for eight long years was devastating. Oh, so that now, awful. just with that pre preface, um, caveat, I'm in a way better place right now. I'm good. <laughs> <laughs> you really are. I have met you in person and you're amazing and you're really doing a great job over there. It's like, I, it was so cool to see you at Sunstone with your husband because like he would just, he looks at you and he's happy. Uh, he was watching you do this, like you're this whole Mormon happy hour podcast thing. Like, Cause you had your booth and you're like running it and you're doing the thing. And he's like, Hey, I'm here to help. And he was, he was just happy to watch you be happy. And I thought this is a good thing. Everything about this is good. <laughs> Look at you having a job <laughs> and being fulfilled and doing something wonderful with it. Like, yes, yes. So, you know, clap, claps, everybody. <laughs> I'm sorry. Well, let's, let's go back to it. I'm sorry. This is not about you or me. This is about Spencer W. Kimball. <sighs> Why am I bringing the real world into this? What is my problem? Oh my that God. Where a, were we even on this? That was a happy oh, we were on page one. That was a <laughs> yeah, like, example of what, of what could life could be if you don't listen yes. to Spencer W. Kimball's plan of happiness. Yeah. Yeah. Well, so <laughs> channeling all those feelings of infertility. <clears throat> I want you to listen to this. Now, John and Mary, many young people plan to postpone their spiritual life, church activity, and the bearing of a family until they get their degrees or get established financially. And by the time they are prepared, according to their ambitious standards, they have lost much of the inclination and powers and time. So basically what he's saying is, that if you don't have children right away and you find fulfillment in other areas of your life because you don't have children, then your desire for those children will diminish. And what I, I read that and just flames, flames came out of my ears because like utter bullshit. Because yeah. when I was married for eight years and I was struggling to have children, the only mm -hmm. thing I could do in my life was find other things that were fulfilling so that I could survive. And mm -hmm. did those things ever for one minute diminish my desire to have children? No. Yes and no. Mm -mm. No. no. <sighs> Man, and, like, and I'm someone that I waited to have kids until <laughs> I was financially ready and I had a career and I had time off accumulated. We could afford daycare because um, in Minnesota, infant care is more expensive than a, a year of tuition at the U. Wow. Yeah, it's, yeah, it is completely common for full-time full infant care to be $360 a week. Oh. A week. <laughs> yeah. So you better believe that, like, I figured that out when I was, like, 20 mm -hmm. and thought, 
I can't afford to have a kid and have the career that I want, like the life that we wanted at the time. Mm -hmm. So we waited and both of our children, regardless of the status of my current marriage, which is I'm divorced, we both wanted our kids and like our kids are very wanted, but we also made sure that we budgeted for that so that we were both able to support our kids regardless of what happened in our lives. And clearly things happen in our lives, but we never had to worry about where the next meal was coming from, Mm -hmm. which the relief of that was like, I can't imagine that stressful part of our lives and also having the added level of where are we going to live? What's the food situation going to be like? What about the basic medical care? Like we, we were able to afford that because we were, we did a lot of prep work for our wanted children, which is in direct contradiction mm-hmm. to this malarkey <laughs> of this paragraph here. I, would it have been better if I'd gotten married to someone I barely knew when I was 18 and then I had five kids by the time I was 30 and we were working minimum wage jobs and we never knew where the next meal was coming from. That's a choice and that happens and that's okay, but it wasn't the path I wanted or that, and and, uh, this is so dumb. This keeps coming back to, this is so dumb. How is this a good, Hey, the, the path to happiness is to be really poor and have a bunch of kids that you can't support. That's exactly what he's saying. Why? Why? Don't we all deserve better than that? Than a life that somebody else tells you will make you happy, even if you know it's not the life you want? What's up with that? He's just, it's, it's, it's sadistic. It's masochistic. I, I don't under, I, I sincerely don't understand his thought process. He, he has no. the most ass backwards way to happiness. And I mean, we're not even talking about the whole like, oh, oral sex is, is, you know, evil and, <laughs> And unnatural. Why would he think that? I feel like that might just be a disparaging comment on his wife, which I feel real bad about having just made that comment. But I did. I went there, everybody. And you uh, went there too. Uh, oh, Spencer. Let's just say that he wasn't. He wasn't the most um, appealing candidate. Possibly, we don't have to put this on her. <laughs> no, we really don't. <laughs> Maybe she was like, "Oh, I'm sure it's evil. I shouldn't do that." meaningful look yeah yeah you know props to her yeah getting out of something you don't want to do because ugh. god we're terrible we- uh, i think we should wrap up part two and i think we're heading into part three now of this john and mary saga. So. <laughs> oh my god i love this so much well, thank you for having me on, Colleen. This has been a joy and a privilege. <laughs> Ditto. Man, I love you. All love right. too. Catch us for part three and hopefully the concluding part of Spencer W. Kimball with John and Mary. <laughs> Bye, everybody. wraps up today's topics. We are so glad you stopped by. Be sure to join the Mormon Happy Hour on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and Patreon. If you smiled, please drop us a five-star review wherever you found us. See you next week. Cheers!